What's up everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Rebranding Safety Podcast on YouTube. Today we're going to be talking about civil law. It's what's wrong with health and safety, right? Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We're in a pressured regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. So an introduction into civil law then. What is civil law? Well, I'm sure you all know by now, especially if you've been listening to the podcast, that I am no civil law expert. Definitely not. So I am going to give you a layman's overview as per everything. FYI, Mr. here. Say hello, Mr. You're embarrassing me now. Come on, say hello. Paul. Hey, Paul, you're making me look bad. Paul, yeah, good boy. That was embarrassing. Um, so, civil law. Unfortunately, civil law, definitely not as clear-cut as criminal law. Criminal law, pretty black and white. There is... It's in writing, basically. It says it says in writing what you got to do, and you got to do it. Yeah, great. All right, it's got some comments in there, like, reasonably practicable that some people struggle to get their head around. But overall, it's pretty clear-cut. Civil law is based on precedents and previous cases, basically. So it builds up kind of case studies, case history, and that sets precedents. And what that does then is it kind of sets the tone, basically, to how future similar cases will be judged. So let's let's go through some clear differences then. So like I've just said, criminal law written down, civil law not written down. OK, so when that, what that means is, is there is a piece of paper, basically, that says the law on it for criminal law and civil law is not like that. There's loads and loads of bits of paper that all go through kind of precedents and case studies. So what we're used to dealing with in the Health and Safety at Work Act, that's criminal law. Yeah, so you speeding on the road, that's criminal law. Yeah, C- claims and compensation that you get, that's civil law. Yeah, so you're insuring your option, we've received a claim, that's civil law. So to move forward with a civil case, you need basically what you would call a civil wrong. And that's called a tort, basically. So this is kind of like the law of tort. And that basically means that one person has suffered harm, injury or loss because of another person's wrongdoing. And that other person might be a business, might be your business, might be you. You are the business, you're self-employed, yeah? So for that to exist, there must the following's got to be applicable. There's basically got to be a duty in law applied to that one person or another. Um, and then a breach of said duty. So historically, there needed to be a contract between these two people, and that contract would then mean that a civil compensation case could go forward. However, I really 
famous case, Donahue and Stevenson versus Stevenson, sorry, in 1932, um, set out what we call the neighbor principle. And basically that means you must take reasonable care to avoid acts or omissions, which you can reasonably foresee would be likely to injure your neighbor. And then what's a neighbor then? A person who is so closely or directly affected um, by my act that I ought reasonable, re reasonably to have them in my contemplation as being affected. So when I am directed my mind to the acts or omissions in question, fuck me. They do not write that stuff easy to say, do they? Basically, somebody who may get affected by what you do. That's that's it, yeah? That is the, the crux of this. So basically, anybody that could get harmed by your building or your service or anything like that, you owe them a duty, yeah? To basically just be safe, don't be a dick. And this has then gone on to evolve over the years, which is basically what precedence means. It just kind of grows and grows and grows. And basically what that means is that a lack of contract does not prevent the claim, hence neighbor principle, because you don't have a contract with somebody just walking past your business, for example, right? Negligence is accepted as a separate tort in its own right. Negligence would be proved by satisfying the following three part test. And, and in my opinion, this is kind of the, the main the main bit here. So you've got you've got to have a duty of care owed by the defendant to the claimant. Yeah. So there's got to be a duty of care there. There's got to be a breach in said duty. Yeah. Then there's got to be damage caused by the defendant. So basically me, if it was my business because of that breach of duty, that's not too remote as a consequence of that breach. Yeah. So basically that's left us with, with a test. So negligence equals duty owed, duty breach and damage caused. Yeah. So duty was owed, duty was breached, damage was caused, that equals negligence. Okay. Mister, can you not put the balls? Oh, there we go. Yeah, if you're listening on the podcast, my dog just got up and um, turned around and nearly showed everybody his testicles. Let's have a cup of tea. So, pretty simple so far, right? Negligence, you owe a duty, you breach the duty, and you cause damage. Pretty, pretty simple. Well, not really. It can and does get massively complicated. So, basically, you know when we go in quite in depth here but there are there are so many other considerations that a judge would take into account and basically that they're looking at the foreseeability of the risk the magnitude of the risk in terms of likelihood and the magnitude in terms of severity of the actual damage um the cost and practicality of the precautions the social values you know was the task saving a life like a firefighter so you know you know the the kind of famous myth that somebody was sued because they were giving somebody first aid and then they, they like broke their ribs or something like that I don't know doing CPR and then that person sued the first aider you would call that kind of like social value a, a buyer fighter using clamps to get in the car and the glass breaks and it goes in someone's eye and then that person sues the firefighter that's social value what that person was doing had social value um, special duties of care. So we've got like skilled defenders like surgeons and doctors. 
unskilled defenders, you know, people that are really unskilled, they'll take special consideration. Children and sports participants, they take special considerations as well. Sports because of the inherent kind of risks in some sports. Um, then we've got kind of my favourite word, I think, in health and safety, even though I've probably said that in quite a lot of podcasts historically. Um, but I'm going to say it is. Yeah, I was dang- I daydreamed a little bit there, but I'm going to say this is, and it is called vicarious liability. Dun, dun, dun. Did you like that, right? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so in short, this is basically an, an exception to the rule um, that basically says that I work for Joe Bloggs Limited, for example, right? And I do something wrong, yeah? And that harms somebody. And that somebody doesn't claim against me. They claim against Joe Bloggs Limited, and that's vicarious liability. Vicarious liability, therefore, states basically that Joe Bloggs Limited is liable for the actions of James McPherson, their employee. And there's a really famous um, case, you know, so where is vicarious liability come from? Well, like many men out there, it, it, man, I just ruined the joke. Let's rewind. Where's vicarious liability come from? Well, like many men's children, it came from the milkman. That was a funny joke, right? No. Anyway, so let's get back on track. The case basically is the Rose and the the Rose B Plenty. There we go. And that basically sets the tone where the employer may be held liable for the wrongful act of their employees during the course of their employment. And the course of their employment, that's the important bit. They have to be in the course of their employment. Um, so the story basically is Rose and Plenty. Mr. Plenty was the milkman um, and historically um children were allowed to sit on the back of kind of like the milk trucks um long story short um the the kid kind of falls off hurts himself uh gets a fractured leg because of the negligent driving of mr plenty um so what had happened prior to that child getting on and falling off is that Mr. Plenty had actually been told and the business had done loads of retraining and loads of stuff like that, where they basically said, you're not allowed to have kids on the back of your truck. Yeah, the unions were involved. The, the employers deemed, deemed themselves that they had done everything that, that they could have done. Um, but yet that Mr. Plenty still let Leslie Rose, a young boy, on the back of the truck who fell off and then... Um, fractured his leg. So when it was first went to court, it was judged that Mr. Plenty was 75% contributory, contributory, fucking hell. Why do I even write this stuff in? Basically, he contributed to the negligence. There we go and the compensation. So he's 75% liable for the compensation um, from the employer was barred. However, that was overrun in the court of appeal based on the fact that it was in the course of employment and the employer therefore had to pay the damages. I mean, it's just fucking nuts. Mind blown. It's crazy. So most of us are sitting there being like, duh, fuck. 
how can I be liable for my employees' actions? You know, well, that that's just not right, is it? You know, there are tests to determine whether they're in the course of employment. And before I kind of add my kind of 10 pence worth onto this, I should probably go through these first uh, because I'll probably go off on some crazy tangent like I normally do. So if we go to like Hawley versus Luminar Leisure PLC in 2005, um, I want to talk a little bit about this because there's a current perception that there are hundreds of smart people that don't employ people in a the business. They, they contract them, they subcontract them, and they all think because they're so smart that um, because they subcontract them, they, they kind of like found this loophole in the health and safety at work app because they don't employ five members of staff, therefore they don't have to write stuff down. But that's it, they don't have to write stuff down, still fucking applies to you, idiots. Um, so I told you I'd go off on a round, didn't I? I knew it was going to happen. Anyway, so I think this case study kind of shows that, that you are still liable. So basically, Employing subcontractors, insure, and not employees is not a get out of shit free card. So this case relates to basically a doorman of a nightclub. Smacked the claimant in the face. The claimant is the person um, that's making the claim. I know that sounds really obvious, but just in case you didn't know, I thought I'd get that one sorted. So the doorman smacks the claimant in the face, sparks him out, puts him on his ass, down on the ground. Let's be honest. We've all been out on a Saturday night. We've all been that claimant, except we haven't claimed. Um, so he probably deserved it. But that aside, he gets smacked in the face. He goes to sit down. He wakes up the next day and he thinks, I'm going to sue that bastard. So he got some balls, fair enough. Um, so he basically goes and sues the security firm who employ the nightclub. However, the nightclub owner was held liable because they were deemed to be in control of the situation and what that doorman was doing, even though they weren't the employer. And this is where we're talking about subcontractors. So whilst it's not exactly the same as those people out there that think they're smart, it it does kind of show that kind of control. So if you're a kind of builder, um, and, and my best mate is going to be listening to this thinking he's talking about me, um, but if you're a builder um, and you subcontract your gang um, and you think you haven't got a kind of duty to them, you have, um, you as the kind of ganger or lead ganger or whatever they call them, um, the boss man, you're in control of what they do because you're the, the boss of the gang. Um, also, like, why call it gang? Like, it's not, you're not that cool. Like, you're fucking builders. I mean, come on. Anyway, um, He's probably going to text me when he listens to this, being like, FYI, it's called a gang because of this and that and this. But anyway, anyway, carry on. Come on. Back on track, back on track. So it went to the person who was in control, which was the contractor, the subcontractor. So that so the person that owned the nightclub. And I found that very, very interesting. There are other tests out there for this. There are like integration and organization tests, the uh, economic reality test. But if I'm brutally honest, I don't know enough about them to even sit here and pretend to preach. Um, so if you're thinking that this kind of vicarious liability thing is interesting, then just make sure you Google them too as well and find out a bit more. I won't go into them because we would just be here all day. So moving swiftly on, in civil law, there is several references to the reasonable man. And the reasonable man sometimes called the man on the Clapham omnibus. So 
this is used to kind of deem if the action of what somebody did, what you did, the owner of Joe Bloggs Limited, is is that the action of a reasonable person, a reasonable man? Um, I'm not being sexist, FYI, saying just man. Um, it's called man in law. They, they don't refer to female or women. It's always man. Yeah, just to put that out there before anyone tweets me being like, and again, you say, you say sexist. Did I say racist earlier? I meant sexist. Um, so, the man on the Clapham omnibus, yeah, he was basically described in a case by a judge as an intelligent but nondescript person against whom the defendant's conduct can be measured. He's impartial, he's a disinterested observer. He's irrational, he is rational, sorry, not irrational. <laughs> he is rational, does not allow prejudice, blind faith or distrust in his, uh, or distrust to cloud his judgment. He's well informed, but not an expert, but an inquisitive generalist who gathers, assimilates and weighs the available information before making a judgment. He is reasonable. He takes into account differing views and perspectives. He allows for uncertainty. He balances evidence and argument. So who is he? This guy sounds pretty cool. Who is he? Well, he ain't real. He was first mentioned in a case in 1904. Maguire versus Western Morning News. But has gone on to stand the test of time as an example of a reasonable man. But he is non-existent doesn't exist he is a figment of somebody's very intelligent imagination but it is basically a test you know it's the way to ask a question is what james did what a reasonable man would do and that's how they look at i found a blog when i was doing some research on civil law um the learned friend a very good blog on the reasonable man and looks at it from a kind of perspective of is it what society's missing um which i found very very interesting and i will link in the description for everybody so let's move on let's look at defenses to civil claims then so there are a few defenses um and there is an issue in my opinion which we will go into at the end of the podcast um but let's just kind of whiz over these so we've got consent so consent is basically voluntary assumption of the risk or if you want to be really posh valenti non fit injuria I, don't, I probably said that way completely wrong i think it's italian or latin but i'm not i'm not sure um but yeah i wanted to try and sound posh but yeah it's probably made me sound the opposite of posh um basically this means the claimant was fully aware of the risk and freely accepted the risk however this is rarely successful for claims um, by employees versus employers, so it's rarely successful. Okay, so you bear that in mind. It's worth mentioning as well that this is an absolute defence, meaning it's a be-all or end-all. It is you wipe out the whole case and the case is closed and you've won completely, or there's no in-between, whereas some of the others it might, you know, say, oh, I get what you're saying, we'll take 10% off of it because the claimant was 10% um, contributory kind of thing. This not This one is not... It is 100% white mouth. So illegality is another one. If the claimant is involved in a criminal act at the time of their negligence, this may reduce the claim or dismiss it wholly. So there's both. That's what I was referring to then, where the other one was absolute. This one does can be an absolute, but it can reduce it. So either or. With me? Good. 
However, a burglar, I've wrote burger in my notes, <laughs> through me. However, a burger, for example, burglar, burglar, fucking Nora. I've really messed myself up here. However, a burglar, 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 a thief, much easier. For example, may still have a claim if another or any other trespasser would have also been injured. What does that mean? If I'm brutal honest, I'm not really sure. I think it says, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That it says, you know, you're a bit of a dick robbing their house, but we're going to treat that one on a case by case basis because we're not really sure. Um, the story that springs to mind is that old boy that went to jail for shooting that geezer in the back uh, who was robbing his house. Uh, I think, yeah, I think God take it on a case by case basis. Let's be honest. If someone was picking up your TV um, and you had a gun, you'd shoot him. You know, I wouldn't shoot him in the back. Well, because he was picking up my fucking TV. I do think there is a bit of um, kind of, you know, you've got to look at it pragmatically and, and kind of from each side. Um, but I'm not a massive fan of this kind of. People hang on that one quite a lot, and they say, "Oh, you know, it's oh, it's gone crazy. That's you know, your your thief can break in and smash your house up, and then if you smash him in the face, you know, you're gonna get sued for smashing him in the face." Well, not really, because the case that they all refer to is where the geezer shot the guy in the back, and I'm thinking you're talking about like smacking him in the face, and that's kind of a bit different, isn't it? So I think it's on a case-by-case basis, and I, I, and I genuinely did quite a lot of research and trying to find out stuff, and I could only really find that one case. Um, so, interesting. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Necessity. The defendant's actions must be um, for the purpose of protecting the public, a third party or another person. There is, however, there has to be, sorry, however, a perception of imminent danger. So basically, yet again, it's kind of like social value. A copper kind of dives on somebody to stop them getting shot um, and that injures them. It was a necessity. They had to do it. So there has to be a perception of imminent danger. Yeah, so that's a good defense there. Contributory negligence. So this basically means that the claimant was partly to blame for the accident. So they're alcoholic, they come in as pissed up, they drive the crane and they crash the crane. Yeah, we're going to try and say that they're contributory negligent. Yeah, so basically they were being a dickhead, they hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, and now they're claiming because they're the pond scum of the UK. Um, that is not true. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm going to move on. I'm probably going to get loads of tweets for this this thing, which is good. It's, you know, customer interaction, even if I have pissed everyone off. If, you have, if I have pissed you off, I apologise. Anyway, moving swiftly on. So, if there is all of those defences, what? why are we stuck in a claim culture? Because let's be honest, we are stuck in a claim culture at the moment in the UK. Well, because... I think because if I'm brutally honest, it's because all the legal fees and everything, it just costs too much. So, uh, yeah, I think it's for the because of the, how we look at the cost. So basically, the compensation that a claimant will receive is actually only about 23% of the overall cost. And actually, the claimant's legal fees is 57% of the overall cost. Then you've got all the other stuff, your legal fees, insurance premiums, what do they call it, excess, all that stuff as well. Sorry, I'm a bit out of breath because I just pulled this to run downstairs to get my notes because I had the um, whew, I had the uh, the statistics on there, but I hadn't wrote statistics in 
my actual notes. Anyway, whew, give me breath back. Let's have a swig of tea. better at it so most people kind of go in to try and you know offer settlement as soon as possible um, normally you know it's you know the risk of fighting a case versus settlement is wholly disproportionate and that herein I think is the cause of the problem it costs so much if a case goes wrong versus if you just settle now, why is that a problem? Well, in my opinion, because in a big business or in an insurance world, it might be like two grand for, for an insurer to go, sorry, we hurt you. Here's two grand. Here's three grand. Here's four grand. Here's five grand. And it's still quite a small number for a big employer. So what does that mean then? Well, that means I look at it, I get that five grand. I'm like, boom, let's go with two Ibiza. That's not the song, is it? We're going to Ibiza. Anyway, um, so I get a lot of money and I'm like, yes, this is big stuff. You know, it's a mortgage on, it's a deposit on my mortgage, deposit on a car. It's a holiday. You know, it's big for Joe Blogs every day, you know, man on the clap or omnibus. Do I did that? Um, it's big stuff. But for the big businesses and the insurance, it's not when you weigh it up against a potential risk of going to court and trying to fight it. So we settle. And, and I've actually had this conversation with an insurer back in the past where I thought we should fight it because we were, I felt like we were going down a slippery slope into a big claim culture in a business I used to work for. And I was a bit worried about it. So I said, I want to fight this one. And in my opinion, it was kind of open and shut. Um, but they decided to settle and it was out of my hands. So is that the problem with health and safety? Is that where this problem that we're stuck in at the moment, this kind of perpetual fucking wheel of claims and over-the-top health and safety kind of stuff, is this where it comes from? Well, in part, yes, but actually, no. That is the, the, the kind of brutal honesty of it. You know, should the government cap the legal cost? No, I don't think they should because... The law, in my opinion, is not the problem. I actually think a lot of our laws, from a health and safety point of view, are not bad at all. I think they're really, really good. And they give businesses a lot, a lot of leeway to be able to do what they need to do. And actually, they tell you to do that and be reasonable um, and, and to kind of enable you to have your business and run your business. So, you know, if... If you employ a dickhead that is negligent and causes an, an, an incident, then you shouldn't have employed him. So, yeah, damn right you're vicariously liable. It, it, it's down to you. If you start a business, you, are, you have the ownership and you need to take that ownership and take that responsibility to employ non-dickheads, you know, actual good people. Why would you want to employ someone like that? Then you've got to, you know, go down the route of kind of monitoring them, having the balls to say, do you know what? You're no good and you're putting my business at risk. You need to go and stop being scared of it and, and stop using health and safety law and civil law and legislation as you're kind of, oh, it's, I can't do this because it's health and safety law. Like, no, it's just because you're a pussy. That's why. Anyway, run over. Rant. 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 Sherry hates it when I say rant. It's rant, James. Rant. So, 
In short, is the problem with civil law? No, I don't think it is. What is the problem overall then? It's basically culture. You know, we say, we say every week in the podcast, every bloody week, it comes down to you taking responsibility for that business that you own and dealing with health and safety for what it actually is, which is really easy to do. Really, really simple. So, I'm, I'm, I'm massively surprised you have managed to fit this into quite a short podcast, if I'm honest. Um, but that's kind of like a real whistle-stop tour of civil law. Um, I'm going to tell you now some changes that are coming to the podcast. So, if you're listening to this podcast, when you finish walking the dog, finish commuting to work, when you get a split second... Flip onto YouTube and search for rebranding safety because, ladies and gentlemen, whatever the other thing that people say when they say, ladies and gentlemen, women and children, no, because it'll be ladies and gentlemen. What's the other bit that say? Anyway, because, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that have been avid listeners to this podcast for the last, I think we've been going, what are we on, like 22 episodes, I thank you very much very much and I will continue to be producing these podcasts and I'm getting some awesome awesome feedback but go to YouTube and search it because we're doing it on YouTube as well now I've got a couple of cameras set up recording me sitting on the sofa just chatting shit Um, I'm going to put it up on YouTube as well the one change that's coming for podcast listeners is we will be moving from Tuesdays to Thursdays why you may be asking Well, the reason why is because I could not think of a name for my YouTube videos that didn't, that worked well with any other name of the day of the week. That's it. That's basically it. You know, I'm going to call the videos, I think at the moment we're in the trial, we're in the, um, what, the consultation period, but I think we're going to call it like Toolbox Tuesdays, you know, like a Toolbox Talk. Um, I think that's what we're going to go with. So that didn't work with anything else. You know, like two Toolbox Mondays, Toolbox Wednesdays, Toolbox Thursdays I nearly went with, but we're not sure. We've also got some other ideas for other content, but we're moving the podcast to Thursday. Maybe. Not quite sure. I'm just thinking now that Monday might be a good idea. But anyway, it's Thursday for now. Um, but if I change again, I'll change again, whatever. It's not like this is the clean cut, most professional podcast you've listened to anyway. So if we change, we change. Um, but great news. We're on YouTube. So check us out. Um, let's, um, let's go then. I mean, that. what I mean, let's go. This is the end of the podcast. I feel like I've lost, I feel like I've lost my train of thought. What else? So yeah, we'll have videos on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday when I tour watch Tuesdays, we've got some other stuff coming up, I think. Um, what's coming up on the podcast? We have got five interviews lined up. Five interviews, that's massive. Some big ones as well. I've got, I'm having some conversations with some other people, which I'm really excited about. Um, kind of like a little bit famous in the safety world. So I'm really excited about that. Um, got some big stuff coming on the on the podcast and obviously YouTube was just that chipping away at that like we did with the podcast um, as you can see we've got some kind of like new mics here I've spent some real money on mics now um, so hopefully you're noticing 
the um, the audio quality. But those of you that are watching on YouTube, I think this microphone is like dropping down, so I'm kind of really slouching now. By the time, whereas at the beginning of the video, I was kind of up close, up upright, upright. That's the word. So anyway, that's it for now. Changing from Tuesdays over to Thursdays. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. That's been a whistle-stop tour of civil law. I've been James McPherson, and this has been Rebranded Safety. Peace out. Safe. Mm-hmm.